Hi, I'm Don Mackey, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. This is Kate Pope-Hodel, and we're switching chairs today. I'm going to be your host for this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity, and Don Mackey is going to be sitting in the (laughs) guest seat. So, Don, welcome to the show. (laughs) Well, and this is a team effort because we're going to talk about the book, and you were such a wonderful editor. You're one of my, you are my favorite editor, and so I'm glad we could do this together today. It's been really fun working on strategies for rural prosperity. We worked with Carson Co. Global with Leah and Elizabeth and other folks on pulling together some really time-worn material for rural economic development. So just start with, why did you decide to write this book? Who is it for? Well, it's really geared for rural people. You know, the folks who are with Chambers of Commerce, development corporations, tourism groups, municipal and county leaders. And so it's really for practitioners. And so this is hands-on practical stuff. And it's been a work in progress as we've worked across the country. We do our development opportunity profiles, which you've been involved with. And about two years ago, we went back and looked at those and said, what are the themes? What are the recommendations that just keep coming up and up? And we arrived at these 11 strategies based on what we were finding in hundreds of development opportunity profiles all over the country and said, okay, these are the ones that are most common and probably most likely a play for a majority of rural communities in America. I was going to ask you why 11, why not your top 10, but it sounds like they're very rooted in your experience. Can you talk about what some of those strategies are? Well, just to go back to that, I'm a person who believes in the rule of three, five, and 10, and I worked really hard to get it to 10. It's like, no, there's 11, so we're going to go with 11. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. So the 11 topics, and we can drill down into these a little bit, but probably the one that's most universally accessible is area spending capture. And we see that as the low-hanging fruit with any kind of entrepreneurial development, and we can talk more about it. For most of rural America that's been seeing net out migration and depopulation, new resident attraction has huge entrepreneurial opportunities. The retiring boomers is an area of focus. For most of rural America, their foundational economies tied to natural resources, farming, mining, timber, energy. And so how does that come into play? For our somewhat larger communities, you know, they play this hub city role. That's where a hospital is, and that's where maybe a community college campus is. And so what are the opportunities there? Commuters are huge. In rural America, people get on the road, and there's a whole set of entrepreneurial development opportunities with them. Obviously, growth-oriented entrepreneurs, rural America produces them, and that's a really high-value strategy. Rural America is also home to all of the connective infrastructure, highways, railroads, pipelines. And so these transportation corridors generate, you know, we're working with Keith County and their fastest growing part of their community is the Interstate 80 interchange. So 
that's huge. Tourism, of course, some communities do have larger employers. Maybe it's a hospital, maybe it's a manufacturing plant. So business retention and expansion fits. And then the one we couldn't get into 10, and that is the importance of regional development. So that's the list. Mm-hmm. See, but some of them really jump out as being really different. And so I wanted to drill down into a few of them. Can we start with a little bit more about that spending capture, because you said that is the one that is really universal for nearly every rural community. So what is area spending capture and why is it so important? Yeah, this is the one recommendation that we say communities should lead with. And let me explain why. First of all, every rural community has consumers. They've got households, they've got local government, they've got nonprofits that all spend money. And if they happen to be along a highway, they have people that are passing through that are spending money. And if they have some destination businesses, they have people from the region coming in to go to that great cafe or that unique lumberyard that has special products and services. And so when you think about the business or the venture community, really getting those entrepreneurs to step out of just running their business and to begin to think about how do I build a better business, not necessarily a larger business, but a more profitable, successful business anchored in what, you know, Chris Gibbons talks are those niche markets. Get out of the commodity stuff and get into the niches where you can really succeed. And so working with entrepreneurs in a community, focusing on how do we capture 5, 10, 15 percent more of the available spending that is right here, to me, that's blocking and tackling in football. That's the basics. And then some of these businesses can become those destination businesses that begin to attract people from a larger region that bring people to town. And when they're in town, they're going to spend money on other stuff. So that's why spending capture is so foundational, we think, in an entrepreneurial development strategy. Is working with entrepreneurs going to be a switch for rural communities? Have a lot of them been more focused on getting the next big factory to come into town? This is the biggest glass ceiling because we're used to, first of all, that kind of business attraction that's been economic development since World War II. But the other thing is we're used to saying, okay, if entrepreneurs need their help, come to the chamber and we'll see if we can help you. We offer programs. So if you want to take a class on building a better business, we'll offer that. But those are kind of pull strategies. It depends on the entrepreneur to reach out to you. And the fact is, we know that 95% of entrepreneurs in rural America don't reach out for help. So that's where reaching out to them, inviting them to a luncheon and talk about here's the data on what's being spent for home goods or whatever, and getting those entrepreneurs to kind of step out of running that business, thinking about how to build a better business, using data to do that. That's huge because most of the opportunity are with the very people who are just every day getting up, trying to make it work and they need an opportunity to be invited to think about how we can help them build better ventures. And that includes your nonprofits. So think about a a regional mental health clinic. That's a nonprofit, but that's still economic development. So are you willing to work with your nonprofits, your governmental enterprises? You know, if you're in the Black Hills of South Dakota, Custer State Park is a huge enterprise. Why wouldn't you work with it? I thought that was fascinating how you identify ventures as for-profit, not-for-profit, and government entities. And so being cognizant of all those different opportunities. Okay, switch gears for a second. 
Let's talk about boomers. Okay. I am a boomer. I have retired to a small rural community. I didn't know I was economic development. So talk about boomers. Well, and we get pushback on this, particularly from more traditional economic developers who go, well, retirees are a liability because they demand a lot of services and stuff. And and again, we got to think about these non-traditional economic drivers. And the fact is, in the United States, and particularly in rural America, retiring boomers, 10,000 a day, and this is going to continue for another quarter century of retiring. I'm in that bucket, too, trying to get there. They are hugely important. They control about 30% of all spending. They control about 60% of all household wealth. And they are major consumers. But they're also one of the largest groups of entrepreneurs. They're investing in ventures. They're, in many cases, this is their second and third gig where they're starting a venture that ultimately they'll transition to somebody in the community. So it's a huge opportunity, number one, to meet their needs, their consumer needs. And that's more than having health care. It's thinking about how do we build 55 plus housing so that they'll move out of that single family house, freeing it up for a family, knowing our housing markets are tight. But it's also the wraparound services. I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we want to stay in our home as long as we can. So we're going to make modifications. We're going to hire help. There's a whole set of entrepreneurial opportunities if we're willing to meet the needs of this new generation of boomers that are retiring and understanding what they're looking for in terms of goods and services, but also a source of entrepreneurial talent and capital investment. Interesting. Thanks. So talk a little bit about this notion of working regionally, because I don't know that rural communities, you know, especially if they've been playing basketball against each other for, you know, 70 years, are always amenable to working together and thinking of themselves as a region. So Talk about why it's important to think regionally and how you get groups of people to do that. So there's some practical realities. I mean, first of all, the United States is unique when we compare ourselves to Canada, Mexico, the countries in the European Union, where community economic development is a local responsibility. And the way we've organized ourselves is with municipalities and counties. But those municipalities and counties do not correspond with the socioeconomic landscape. Those economies are regional. Those society connections are regional. I mean, people may live in one community, send their kids to a school in another community, shop in a third community. That's rural America. You get it where you're at. You probably do that every day. So Part of it is we've got this barrier because we organize ourselves at a community and a county level, but our economies and our societies are regional. And so for optimizing development, working collaborative with other communities, other counties in a region around your area, economy and society is important. There's also a practical consideration with entrepreneurial development. Making that connection with entrepreneurs, building that relationship, finding out their needs and wants, that's local. That could happen in an interstate interchange, in a lake community, in a downtown, but that's a local activity. But actually building the resource entrepreneurial ecosystem, that should be done regionally. If every little pocket community has to have their own gap financing fund, their own technical assistance programs, that's just inefficient. And so if you can organize the resource network and have staff 
that are working in multiple rural communities, boy, you just get some real efficiencies and you can build a much stronger localized network. You can get those local business services engaged as resource providers. And so that's another reason why regional development makes a lot of sense. It's hard because we have organized ourselves at very small units of government. And that means we've got to overcome the turf and say, yeah, we hate these people because they always beat us at basketball, but we got to work <laughs> with them when it comes to entrepreneurship. <laughs> I was really struck in the book by how practical and tactical the information is and also how many examples that you have and certainly inspirational to see that many rural communities are actually making these things happen on the ground. So you talked a little bit about who the audience is for this book. What would be your advice to those folks if they get their hands on this book? What should they do first? And then what would they do second? Well, I think it's a two-part. If they've worked with a university or a state development agency and they've done socioeconomic analysis and they've identified, okay, we have an interstate interchange or we have a large lake community that attracts people, but there's also people living there seasonally and year-round to really begin to take stock of what are your genuine opportunities. If you happen to be next to a state park, you probably have tourism opportunities. And to think about those non-traditional things. Okay, a third of your population are retiring boomers. People are moving from the cities into your community. What are you gonna do with that? So I think that's the first step, is take stock of what your genuine opportunities are. And then the second step is, okay, you probably only have so much bandwidth. Where do you have energy in the community to maybe work on your hub city functions or to really partner with that business and venture community out on the interstate? Look for those opportunities and then apply the basic ground game. Reach out to those venture owners. Take the time to listen to them. Begin to help them discover their needs and wants. And then think about how you network them to resources. And as Ernesto Zerulli always said, you don't have to meet all their needs. Just try to meet a few meaningful needs and you're going to build a relationship and you're going to have an opportunity to work with those folks for a long time. And so that's the basic connection and kind of the three-step waltz. Now I can't dance, but, and so maybe it's a two-step, I don't know, but. Come on, sister. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that's the basic three-step engagement. Understand your economy, get those opportunities figure out where you want to start. You know, if there's energy at the lake community, work with that community. And then thirdly, begin to bring that basic entrepreneurial game plan to bear with that. If you're successful, the community is going to support you in doing more work with more of those opportunities. Great. So this isn't the first book you've written. You have some other things you've authored with Deb Markley, can you talk a little bit about some of the other books that are out there to help these rural communities with what they're trying to accomplish? Well, in just fairness to my co-authors and editors, as you know, Kate, I provide a lot of content, but I depend on other people to make it readable. So in terms of our work, our first book was with Deb Markley, who was my partner with the National Center for Rural Entrepreneurship, and Vicki Luther, who was then with the Heartland Center for Leadership Development with Mylon Wall. Mylon was our editor, and it really began to capture our early learning. This was published in 2005, so it really captured our learning from about 1995 into the early 2000s 
around our discoveries in what Coastal Enterprises was doing over in Maine with entrepreneurs, what Dennis West was doing up with Northern Initiatives, the early work at Kaufman that was being supported. And that book was called Energizing Entrepreneurs, Charting a Course for Rural Communities. And it's still available free online at our website. Our second book was kind of a, it came out in 2011, and it really began to dig into this connection between community wealth, particularly household wealth, largely generated by entrepreneurial activity and philanthropy. And the idea that government and the banks don't have to pay for all of your community economic development, that if you reach out to these entrepreneurs, they're very interested in supporting entrepreneurial ecosystems. And as you know, that's one of the biggest challenges is finding predictable, robust funding for entrepreneurial ecosystem building and operation. And so our transfer of wealth in rural America really talked about both the opportunity, but that connection. And then our final center book, Center for Rural Entrepreneurship book, came out in 2004. And that's where Deb Markley began to really lay out the basic E2 development process that we're not going to wait for entrepreneurs to come to us. We're going to go out and do mapping and targeting. We're going to find people to go do visitation, build relationship, identify needs, and then connect to resources. And so instead of building the perfect resource network, build a network that's responsive to the needs and wants of the entrepreneurs you're working with, which for rural America with finite bandwidth, that kind of demand-driven ecosystem building made a whole lot more sense. And so this book began to lay that out, which we've continued to build upon. And then, of course, I'd be remiss if I don't put in a pitch for Beyond Collisions, the book that you did with Maria (laughs) Myers in 2017. It's on my bookshelf. I use it every week. And I think it really is for folks who are building their own library in the entrepreneurship field, that's a must as well. Again, practical insight that people can use. Great. Practical insight, tactical data, and case studies. I think you've done such a wonderful job of capturing the impact of these kinds of activities long-term, which then can help communities convince other people that this is worth doing. So for our listeners, let's make sure we share, how can I get this book? How can I get to this book? Just go to Amazon. And of course, the book is Strategies for Rural Prosperity, and the book is up and available. And if you are a group and you're doing an entrepreneurial initiative, just reach out to me. My information is on our website, and we can do some group discount pricing for you. But it's available, and everybody's got access to the web by and large, and Amazon is the way we are providing it. And your website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. Absolutely. Do you have other books in the pipeline? Is there anything we should be anticipating? Well, I'm not sure my friends at Network Kansas want me to do another book, but we do have, as we've continued to refine our development game plan that really involves what we call the ground game, this proactive strategy. We've had really rich learning, beginning with our partnership with Pam Bishop up in southern Minnesota with the Rev Initiative, now our work with the Ford Family Foundation out in Oregon with Grow, our partnership in my home state. I'm really excited with the Nebraska Community Foundation, E3, and then, of course, the continuing learning that's coming out of Network Kansas and the work that Eric and those folks are doing there. And so maybe there is enough to produce another book that 
addresses the basic engagement strategy. We'll see if I can find support for that, but we've got the content and the learning has been rich. And if you look for it, there's about two dozen papers, many of which you've edited. Those could be combined into a book that might be more useful for people. Great. Well, certainly we would look forward to that information. Again, thank you so much for this conversation about your new book, Strategies for Rural Prosperity, which is available on Amazon or check out energizingentrepreneurs.org. I've enjoyed being in the host seat today. Don, I hope you've enjoyed being in the guest seat and we'll look forward to having more conversations as we go. Thank you. It's been great. And thanks for You and I've had the opportunity to work together for quite a while. It's always been fun, inspiring. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for helping take all of that content and make it work. You're an amazing editor. Thanks, Kate. Such a labor of love and so (laughs) interesting. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm -hmm.